one-yard touchdown, running in the first place for number one. Harris drops back, fades to the left, pressure on, and he goes down. Ja'Garrett Davis gets home, and the all-black sideline explodes here in Hamilton. Torn to five, it went through Marcus Dale's hands, and Kyron Moore, the presence of mind to catch it and step out of bounds at the five with 20 seconds to go. Pressure loads it up, goes down the field, taking a shot into the end zone. He caught it. Touchdown, Tiger Town. Brandon Banks, how did he do it? It is the breakdown. Thank you as always for being here with us on Canadian Football Perspective from Derek Taylor's palatial estate and me from the jail cell basement of a cottage somewhere along Lake Huron. As always, we appreciate you being along for the ride with us. Welcome to training camps and welcome to the 2021 CFL season. Feels very good to say that. Congratulations to all the teams for getting off the ground, some of them smoother than others, which we will talk about coming up in just a minute here with DT. Of course, follow him on Twitter and Instagram at DT on SCI. I'm at TSN underscore Marsh. This podcast is made possible by our friends at Fox 40. Make sure that you are using the promo code CFP15 at fox40shop.com. That's where you get all of your whistle innovations and needs covered. You can get 15% off against CFP15. And if you want to be able to get yourself some free shipping in Ontario, of course, being of legal drinking age, use the promo code CFL and you'll be able to get that free shipping during checkout on sodacitybeer.com, which is uh, fantastic this time of year. They got a great variety for you here in the summer months. As I said, I'm at the cottage uh, last second. I had a friend offer it up uh, at a cut rate price. And so uh, I've been enjoying the sawdust cities at the cottage, I would say, Derek. I love it. I, I love it. Just, just if we can step back a second, uh, Fox 40 has still not taken my my uh, suggestion for a new slogan that if you're going to blow something, make it a Fox 40. That's still no, not. Uh, they're still waiting. Thing. Although I would say that uh, Fluke, uh, Fluke Transport, uh, which also is in the Fox 40 family, they have the slogan on the side of their transport trucks that says, if it's on time, it's a fluke. Uh, and so fluke transport oh. trailers is that. So maybe they're open to your suggestion because they do like the wordplay. I like that. That's a, that's a good one. You look like you are, I know people can't see you, but one, jacked over oh, the yeah. winter time. Two, that is cottage mode. You are 100% <laughs> in cottage mode. Uh, yeah, I'd like to say that I'm more jacked, but I, it's funny because I remember uh, a long time ago when I, I would have been with uh, my fiance Marlene for not a very long time. And she said, you know, if, if you could look like one person, like in terms of just your overall kind of vibe, what would it be? And I said, Daniel Craig and James Bond. Like that would, that would be Ooh, it. The, scene, yeah. the scene where he's walking out of the water in the blue swim trunks that are barely below his mid thigh. And it's like, he has abs on top of abs and shoulders that are as wide as possible. So we're at the beach yesterday and it was just a, a completely random callback, a term that we always use in radio, right? Of something that you dropped six months ago and you go back to it and it's like, yeah, nobody else is going to get that, but the person I'm talking to. So this is going to make no sense to all of the listening audience. And I just called back to her. I said, remember when I told you if I could look like one person to be Daniel Craig? She goes, yeah, I go, am I there yet? And she's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> so she called me off of it and was like, mm, no, I don't think that we're quite there yet. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun being at the cottage during the first week of CFL training camps. I didn't think I'd ever say that, but because I wake up every morning and there is so much stuff to read through. And there is so much, con all the teams are doing such a good job of putting out stuff. You on radio out there in Saskatchewan, I've been listening into the show periodically when I get a chance in the afternoon. And it's, it's been really fun to see, obviously the CFL has come back to life here, 
but the CFL coverage coming back to life, I think has really reinvigorated a lot of people. Oh, absolutely. I can't stop looking at, okay, well, what, what, what are these guys in Calgary going to be? What's Herb Zerkowski of the Gazette reporting from Montreal? Do we know anything about their two Achilles tears? Uh, Mike Hogan had a great piece for uh, on the Argonauts.ca yesterday. Uh, I can't wait to see. I guess expectations are being lowered in Ottawa after a couple of days of trading camp. Uh, so, yeah, I, I love it. I love it because all the questions we've been thinking about for 18 months of how will this fit here? What's this going to look like? And, oh, we have all these new combinations, yeah. be it players, be it coaches and players, coaches and teams. Uh, it, it's nice to you have to whittle through the, the fibs, right? Because everybody's the greatest and camp's the greatest and everybody looks their best ever. But uh, it, it's just nice to be able to be drinking that in at this time. Yeah, my favorite thing about all of that is that we just have a, every single article from every single team, every single player that's interviewed says, we've got a crazy amount of talent here. And I, I don't doubt them <laughs> because they all feel like they have a lot of talent. But it's like, yeah, but we think that we know a lot of the core players from a lot of these core teams. And when Toronto says we've got a ton of talent here, I'm like, yeah, like there's a lot of really, really good guys that are in that camp. When Hamilton says it, I'm like, yeah, when Saskatchewan says it, when Winnipeg says it, I'm yeah, but it's, it's rosters like BC where I'm like, well, I know they've got a lot of nice pieces, but the overall talent level, I'm like, I don't know, but it's just a thing that everybody says this time of year because, and I don't fault them for this they're all genuinely excited about what they have in front of them. Like they're looking around camp and going, man, we could be really good, but that's the sense of optimism that the start of a new year always gives you. And to finally have the start of a new official year, I think is really meaningful to a lot of people. With that being said, uh, we do have to talk for a second here about what happened in Saskatchewan, because I immediately jumped over to listening to 620 CKRM and you on the sports cage, because I went, Oh my God, they're live on air. And this news is coming out. We have to listen into this. And you guys sounded like a funeral was happening because it was oh. it was dark times man at the when this news first came out and every cfl fan i think it doesn't matter who you're cheering for against if you're a player coach fan otherwise that you hear achilles tears and it sucks and then you hear four in montreal or two in montreal four in saskatchewan you're like okay that's gross and then you also realize that it's not just you know back-end roster guys it's larry Dean and it's other guys that are going to be starters or contributed like Nelson Lacombo and just what was now that you have hindsight on it how do you think you will remember how do you interact with that news being broken well one I just I can't believe four guys suffered the same injury in a six minute span I I just I I don't know I don't know if anybody's at fault or if an exercise is at fault or whatever but I, I went through that. We talked about the four guys. And he did sacks in the CFL, uh, one of the guys as well. So these are big pieces to what the riders were going to be. You look at that and you go six in one day across the Canadian Football League. So I started doing some research. And people have compiled you know, stats on the NFL. And the NFL, in a given year, uh, this research would show, would have between seven and 17 Achilles injuries. That's training camp and all the extra bodies that are in training camp through the Super Bowl. They would have as few as seven. And the CFL had six on one day. You yeah. know, that is, if you didn't know that that was an unbelievable number, it's an unbelievable number. Ryan Carter, who played 14 games for Montreal, uh, was, was one of the guys in Montreal. Uh, I'm just honestly heartbroken because when I think of Achilles tears and the Canadian Football League, People here will gravitate to, well, Darian Durant came back 
after doing it in 15. And in 2016, Durant was fine, but he wasn't Durant. 2017, he was done. Like he was, he played in Montreal, but he was done if you watched him play in yeah. 2017. Uh, I, I just think of it being the end of a guy's career. I, I remember uh, Brady Brown was the guy who played at the U of M, played for the Bombers, planted his foot towards Achilles, and uh, that was the last we ever saw of Brady Brown. And I, and I think of 32-year-old Larry Dean, who now, after a year of rehab, won't have played football in two and a half years. Freddie Bishop won't have played in two years. He's 30. Uh, he's a February 91, so he's 30. Uh, and Jonathan Femi Cole is the fourth player in addition to Lacombo, who was a, a later round draft pick of the Riders in 2020. And you go, is he ever now going to play football for, at the professional level? Uh, I just get, it breaks my heart for the guys. And yeah. Luke Mullender, my color guy, made fun of me because DT, they're just going to get more bodies. There's, there's more bodies. But which 100% true, but still I'm the touchy feely one, right? Yeah. And I feel, I feel just so bad. If we've seen the last of, Larry Dean and Freddie Bishop. I think ultimately it's just very sad. Yeah, Molander has no empathy. I think for anything is, well, uh, is what is what he played right like, because he knows he knows what the cutthroat business is. But even though it's a cutthroat business, that doesn't mean that Jeremy O'Day and Craig Dickinson don't feel awful too. Like, and that's that's the nature of I think working with people because the thing that has always jumped out to me is the best coaches are teachers, and teachers are always people. You know, they they like working with people. They like being able to interact. They like exchanging with. And so to be a people person and to be able to uh, see these guys go down in these spots and not feel anything for them, I think you would be in a very rare class to feel that way. So it, I'm with you. It's, it's unfortunate. The thing that I, I kind of contemplating on, I wrote an article on CFL.ca that's coming out either today when people are listening to this on Wednesday or possibly later in the week that is one wish for every CFL team. And, you know, going down through the list, it's like, well, I want Ottawa to find their next Sinopoli. Like, find the guy that you can just say, that's our Canadian receiver moving forward now that he's out the door. For BC, it was, can we find a way to get Nathan Rourke on the field? Because I saw a quote from Jordan McSimmick, the offensive coordinator, where he said, anytime we can get him on the field, we're better off for it. I'm like, well, how the hell are you going to get Nathan Rourke on the field when Michael Riley is your quarterback? So it's just kind of a wish list. And for the riders, I just put, please, no more injuries. Because the oh. thing the thing that has jumped out to me here, TT, is that we had such a long time off from covering CFL football. I think there's a lot of things that we forgot. And one of the things that I think that we forgot about, whether it be covering the league or being around the game, it's unfair. Like it, every single year, there are teams that go down with injuries that just they're completely unfair. I remember being in Hamilton in 2015 when Kalaros was tearing up the league and he tears his ACL. That was unfair. That ripped the heart out of the entire fan base. And they said, yeah, well, maybe we can pick up the scraps. And no, 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 we're still a really good team. It was like, in reality, looking back, no, that team was dead. As soon as Zach's knee went, that yeah. team was dead in the water and it was over. Sure, they pushed their way to an Eastern final and they gave Ottawa a run for their money and whatever. But that was that was a team, I think, that experienced the unfair nature of, of professional football. And when I saw Dion Lacey go down, yeah. my, my first thought was, Okay, I don't want to see, like, I can't take a Jordan Williams-Lambert going down or a Shaq Evans being put on the sixth game or something like that before we hit game one because that would feel so unfair because we've been waiting so long to find out the answers as to how these guys are going to look. We were so excited for Larry Dean to be in Saskatchewan, and now we don't get to find out that answer for another entire year, and it reminded me how completely unfair pro football can be. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you said Dion to there. Dion Lacey's yes, fine. Yeah. Larry, Larry Dean is what the name you meant to say. You, you corrected it, but I just wanted to make sure that no one thinks Dion Lacey uh, is hurt. 
because uh, dear God, they can't, they can't no. do that. They just got him in camp on Sunday after his quarantine. What, one of the things, and again, I was pulling up some reports and just seeing what, what researchers had found. Uh, one of them said the mean recovery time for a football player is just shy of a year, 339 days. So maybe, well, I was going to say it'd be nice it happened in camp, but this uh, 26% of NFL players who tore their Achilles never played again. Oof. And that one, okay, well, that's fully a quarter of them. And, you know, guys are affected to various levels, researchers found with their Achilles injuries. Uh, the one that sticks out to me is they found that linebackers, their value, their quality of play drops by more than 80%. And I'm, I don't know how they quantified value of play. They may have used like pro football references, average value calculation, whatever it might be. But linebackers were the most affected by, by a factor of 80%. Uh, the average player was a quarter worse than he was before. Because so much of this game, 60 times, is floating out of your stance and going somewhere. I'm going to get the quarterback or I'm going to fill a gap or I'm, I'm faking and I'm dropping into coverage, right? Freddie Bishop certainly would have been called to be a guy who drops into coverage in that three-man front that Jason Shivers will run for the Riders this year. So it's it's awful. And yes, they'll throw in new bodies. Hey, let's meet Pete Robertson and let's all learn to pronounce a Louis Shayona Dowu and stuff like that. <laughs> but yeah, it's it, the end of a guy's career. And and I get guys who have been through it and and folks who, who are who are listening who work in the CFL or played in the CFL, it happens to everybody. Totally get that. This is four is, is kind of fluky. Totally get that. But I just, I can't help it, but feel for, for these guys who slugged through the pandemic, stayed in shape and were ready to knock some heads in training camp and will not get the chance to do that. I, I hate it for them. Yeah. I'm on with you on that. Uh, let's take a look around some of the other headlines around the league that have kind of caught your attention here, GT. Cause I know for me going through and reading a, a bunch of different stuff that's happened in the last a couple, basically a week at this point of guys leading into training camp and some of the quick workouts that have happened and then getting into actually on field and starting to ramp up the physicality, of course, as well. Uh, I loved what Herb Zukowski wrote in Montreal about BJ Cunningham because I actually didn't realize that BJ yes. is 32 and that he's been out, of course, because of the broken wrist from 2019. He didn't get that many reps and then he gets a chance to come back after the pandemic season off in 2020. And he's, he's getting called the old man in Montreal, which is funny because I don't think of him as being old at all. But then you look back, you're like, well, he was drafted to the NFL in 2012. So it's been about a decade, but he is motivated and ready to go. I'm, I'm intrigued because every day I'm reading stuff and looking at things. And I, I'm just overwhelmed by the amount of talent that Toronto has. Just specifically looking at the East for a second here. The amount of talent that Toronto has. And seeing the number of names, like when, when Hoagie's doing his write-ups on Argos.ca and he's saying Shane Ray had a good day, Sean Oakman had an interception, and then Charleston Hughes would have had a sack. And then Cam Judge and Enoch Mwamba were flying around the field making plays. And then on the back end, it was the, and it just it's endless what they have, obviously, in that front seven, but really throughout the entire roster. And then you look at Montreal and you think, well, man, they, they've certainly lost some pieces, but is what they have in-house good enough moving forward? And trying to get a sense for what the East is going to look like. And if Hamilton is going to return to 2019 form based on some of the stuff we've seen and heard coming out of training camp, it sounds like the quarterbacks, which we'll get to in a minute, are going at it, making lots of throws. But it's, again, it's such early days, it's difficult to get a real read on any of this stuff. But I find the storyline starting to shape up. It feels as though it's, 
Hamilton, Toronto, Montreal nipping at everybody's heels, trying to stay in the fight, and then Ottawa bringing up the back. Montreal, I find really interesting because they're they're in a spot that a few teams are. We're really strong in this area. We're question mark here, and uh, now we'll see what this is this is all about because we're incorporating new bodies, right? Uh, offensive line actually looks pretty good. They've done some shuffling with Sean Jamison goes to center and Christian Matt gets kicked up the guard. I saw that from Herb. Uh, you mentioned the receiving core. One, people forget BJ Cunningham is really good, and two, that receiving core is is probably when you look at these starters, if they figure out who's the Canadian or if they run Canadian, that's a top three receiving core between all day Geno Lewis and Naaman Roosevelt and BJ Cunningham and Jake Winicky. And if Quan Bray is currently suspended, if Quan Bray is a piece of that, Mario Alford, who was with the Argos for a stretch, whatever they might do or not do with Canadian, that is a real strong receiving core for Vernon Adams to play with. I mean, and then, oh, by the way, uh, William Stanback's going to lead the league in rushing. Like, <laughs> they've got some real strength there. They had zero ability to rush the passer, so they got Nick Usher and Armando Sewell in free agency. That's a nice place to start. Like, they have some real – Chris Ackie, I'm excited to see him play 14 games this season. Uh, who's in the back five? Okay, we'll have to piece together a Greg, a Greg Reed, uh, uh, Money Hunters, things like that. But uh, Montreal has some reason, and they play Ottawa four times, right? Yeah. So the imbalanced schedule, honestly, I have a tough time looking at their win total and going, how many are they going to win? Because I think Ottawa is going to be poor, and Montreal plays them four times, so they could be 4-0 in those games. So yeah. it's uh, it, it will all come down to Vernon Adams, but they are not without – top end league wide talent for sure. I uh, I'm also surprised by the lack of day one retirement announcements. I thought we were going to get some of those across the league. I know that there were a couple, you know, Neil Cassitati out there in Calgary was one that jumps out because he was just expected mm-hmm. to take on a larger role with, with the Stampeders. But what's the storyline thus far through the first three, four days of training camp across the league that has jumped out to you a little bit? Oh man. I, I think it's that I was reading Danny Austin's column, Danny of the Calgary Sun and Herald, uh, just one of the best reporters that we have in this league and one of the most dedicated CFL fans that we have in this league. And as I was reading through his column, I thought, oh, okay, I think Calgary is coming to terms with the fact that they don't have a ton of great talent on that team. They, they, the thing that's kind of kept them going is their ability to replenish and replenish. And, oh, this receiver's gone. Here's this one. Charleston Hughes is gone. Here's a, here's a new guy. Here's a new guy, Ja'Gary Davis. Uh, Stanley Bryant's gone. Here's Derek Dennis. I think they're coming to terms with oof, a ton of talent. They lose like Cassatati, who allowed more pressures than any right tackle, but was still a right tackle with experience, right? So now they have to go, what does is, what is Leon Johnson look like? Uh, oh, hey, uh, our running back is going to be amazing. Well, you guys haven't really cared about the, the specific running back in the last couple of years. So how much should I really take from that? Oh, look at these receivers. Mm, but then guys are retiring and stepping away and... They have some pieces. The Corey Greenwood question mark. I didn't. I didn't yeah. know. I thought I just plugged Greenwood in at that middle linebacker spot. But question mark on Corey Greenwood. Oh, okay. Well, we'll we'll use Jameer Thurman as a pivot point. Perfect. Jameer Thurman might be the best linebacker in the Canadian Football League. That one. That one really catches me because Calgary's been amazing for so long. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. And they, they, I think they'll find some solutions, but it's definitely a different tone in Calgary this year where they are saying, you know, there's articles being written, not just by Danny, but by the team and otherwise saying, look how strong our Canadian receivers are. It's like in the past, they haven't really focused on some of these other storylines because it's been, hey, look, we have this crazy lineup of receivers from Devaris Daniels to Eric Rogers to Briskis and to uh, on, on and on and on, right down the line, Begleton yeah. and all the rest. So um, there's some different focus there, which if you're reading in between the lines, I think you can see, okay, this is a different team, a different roster, but we'll see how they end up going. And again, that week one matchup with Toronto, just thinking about all the talent I've talked about with what the Argonauts have in house right now and seeing them try to come together quickly in order to take down Calgary in Calgary. Last time that a team from the East went into McMahon to start week one, it was that crazy Ottawa Calgary game in 2019 and Ottawa won. So could could Calgary lose week ones in back-to-back seasons, even with the one that was spaced out in between thanks to COVID? Uh, I mean, that remains to be seen, but the possibility is certainly there and when we'll find out coming up. We do want to focus a little bit here, uh, just as kind of the meat on the bone of this podcast, aside from bouncing around and having fun on uh, some things to deal with Jeremiah Masoli and Dane Evans, because we promised that to you last week. I wanted to give DT a chance to give you some numbers. You said you were digging into some of this last night. I've got some stuff that I kind of saved from 2019. And again, this is all projecting moving forward because we haven't had a chance to see them in preseason and you know I'm not at training camp every day tracking their throws like I did in the 2018 training camp when Manziel was in there and I was trying to figure out is he any good uh, and so I'm, uh, I'm I'm looking at this from afar <laughs> for the first time in a long time for the Ticats but being able to get a sense for what these two guys bring to the table there's some blank spots because they might have developed, they might have changed, they might have gotten better, worse, different areas, movement skills, throwing accuracy, arm power, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but let's take a look at what they really offer is what I wanted this to be is what what's on the table here for the Ticats based on what we understand of games they have played in the CFL. Yeah, so just top line. I think this is an easy decision. Do you think this is an easy decision? I don't think it's an easy decision because I think there's appealing parts to both of their games. To me, this is about menu items. This is about picking what you want to to enjoy and what you think will work best with whatever is on the rest of your plate. And based on the talent that they have in house, like I think it's Masoli. I still think it's Masoli. I think he's going to be the guy. I think when he's at his best, they end up being able to to be their best version of themselves. But there's so much to like about Dane Evans' game, and that's. That's Dane Evans in 2019, again, is why I prefaced this as what the things that he did in 2019, I just imagine the amount of work that he is, because I know the type of guy he is from being around the team during 2020 and then in through the spring of 2021, the way that he would have prepped, I am, it's so hard to think that he could have put in all that work and not gotten better. I I think he had to have improved his game and that's going to make it an even more difficult choice, in my opinion. And it's not that Masoli also didn't improve. It's just that I think in in the the time span of their careers, there's more ability for Evans to improve what he is doing in the CFL game than Masoli, who's been around in the CFL game and doesn't have that much great improvement to make, albeit he's a better player going into training camp because he has that experience already. Yeah, and I, I'm just still on the train, and, and I spent a bunch of time digging into it last night. I'm still on the train that it's it's Masoli for me, and it's it's not that I don't think Dane Evans is a good and viable quarterback in the Canadian Football League. Uh, I just I just look at them and I go, what I think of as a Masoli weakness, Evans also showed in 2019 and in a very minor extent in, in 2018. Uh, Masoli's not the most accurate quarterback, and he is prone to throw interceptions. He had uh, just in 18 and 19, he had 25 starts and 19 games. He threw an interception in those. And you go, 
Okay, that's that's not ideal. So Masoli has his own problems with, oh, late game, if I get this ball to Luke Tasker, we win. Oops, crap, I threw it to the linebacker. Like, that's Jeremiah Masoli has those games. Dane Evans has those too. So what, what Masoli has showed in, in the turnover respect, uh, Evans ha- has showed as well. I, I was looking at adjusted interception rate, which includes uh, balls that were thrown but not picked off, and things that were prevented by receiver. And Evans had a, had a benefit of those in 2019. Let's not kid ourselves. But uh, Masoli kind of lived, lived on those in 2018 as well. So as, as intercepts, uh, Evans has had one, some terrible luck in that respect. And two, his percentage is actually lower. So do you look at that? He's a little, le- maybe a little less prone to pay than Masoli, but then he's also less prone to the big play than Masoli is what the, what the numbers will, will bear out. When you look at them, uh, this is, mine is all about looking back as you project forward. We, we have to project because they're different ages and different skill levels and different experience levels we have to project Evans kind of going forward. What, what do you, what do you like of him that might be correctable and correctable in time for August? Yeah. So the thing that I like the most that he was kind of ready made that came with the package of Dane Evans when he showed up to the CFL was I really, really, really like the footwork. It's so consistent. And I love the quick release because when he wants to get the ball out of his hands, like a rock and throw on a bubble or uh, on a quick little smoke screen, he not only gets the ball out quickly, but the first thing that jumped out to me about mm. him getting to see him even in preseason games was he can catch a snap in the shotgun and basically not even flip his hips. Like this is just one of those things that you gain from hours and hours and hours of practice of reps on reps on reps is that he can basically catch and get the ball out to the sideline. And you can think, okay, that's great to get it out quick, but his ball placement on bubble throws and on quick screens is as good as I've seen in the CFL. And I'm including Riley and Mitchell and everybody else. Like, He'll catch and put it pinpoint. And it's one of those weird little niche things that in terms of types of throws is throwing a bubble or a smoke screen going to earn you a starting job. No, but to me, that shows that he's mastered something. And if you can master a very specific throw and a very specific skill set, that says to me, okay, if you put the work in to master other things, you'll be able to tackle them because you're on pinpoint to be able to put it where you need. It's just, it's always impressed me about him in terms of, you know, moving away from things that he came into the CFL with that he was ready-made and the package was ready to go in 18, 19, otherwise, and into the things that I think that he can improve on this year, the, the putting the ball in risky situations occasionally, I agree. Like that was something I remember in BC, I think he threw two interceptions when I called the goal, uh, the game there, and he probably should have had two others that were picked. I mean, it, there was a couple of drops by BC defenders. So putting the ball in less dangerous places, but I also love the idea of how he progressed as the season went on to the point where Sure, the Grey Cup was a bit of a disaster because Winnipeg's defense was ferocious. But in that East final, the idea of him taking uh, you know, a five-step drop out of the shotgun from his own, uh, or sorry, the, the Edmonton 40-yard line or so, stepping up through the pocket confidently, rolling out to his right, and heaving a ball up into the sky for Brandon Banks down the sidelines. The clip that we always play for you here in the open of my play-by-play of it, like that type of play of him starting to work off script a little bit and starting to be a little bit more freewheeling and realize, okay, I do have the ability to not just be a guy who works from the pocket and takes drops and tries to throw check downs and little crossers here and there. He can push the ball. I think not, not as much as a Riley or a Mitchell, but he can be one of those kind of Vernon Adams jr. Intermediate three, four, five, most aggressive guys in the CFL. I think once his game opens up and he gets a little more trust with it, I think that comes with time. 
I think that's going to come with him getting more comfortable in his own skin in the CFL. But I mean, to see him out in training camp and some of the throws that he's made on the video that I've seen, it, it does look like he's starting to play a little bit more free. So that confidence and that freedom, that trust in the receivers and guys really starting to look at him in the huddle as possibly the future. I think all of that's going to add together as his confidence is only going to go up. And with that, I think so will his play. Mm. Yeah. That's the thing. He's had 18 months to kind of think about, Hey, Mm -hmm. what that was. And, you know, 386 yards in the playoff game against Edmonton is a real nice number at uh, what is it? 18 yards per completion. There were some, there were some bombs thrown that day. Goodness <laughs> gracious. I, I mean, I, I limited just in looking back at their numbers, I limited it to 18 and 19 because Masoli has a longer history, but here's two guys, same team, same OC. Let's go. Masoli's had 50% more snaps, more dropbacks than Evans. So some of the, the total numbers will, will get skewed a little bit. Uh, completion percentage of overexpected, which becomes a real, Real big deal because they throw very different balls so far. Yeah, they come out about dead even. So as as accurate as Masoli has been, or as you know, completion heavy as Masoli has been, uh, Evans has been. Uh, Evans has been shown to be a little less accurate. The number of uncatchable balls he throws, you know, a little troubled. He is the top rated passer in the entire CFL by a good margin on throws at or behind the line of scrimmage. To your point from earlier, I think his one sixteen passer rating is fifteen points better than everybody else. Man. So that is really solid. Uh, the one thing that, that stands out to me, and you, you can explain this better than I can, just from memory, Masoli's average depth of target, 10.7 yards. Evans, right about the league average at 9.2 yards. I wonder how much of that comes from 2018 when seven-man protection and let's get this ball down the field and rock it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, they've approached it, at least statistically, would show – hey, uh, Masoli likes to attack more down the field. Is that what what you kind of look back at the last couple of years and think? Yeah, and I think sometimes when people think of the the average depth of target, they assume, well, if somebody has a higher one, then it's because they're slinging the ball on bombs down the field. And yeah, Jeremiah does that, absolutely. And he's extremely comfortable throwing vertically. But the thing that I really think separates Jeremiah on this is because he has more experience in the CFL, he has more trust in those window throws. So he's throwing it in between linebackers to 15 to 18 yards depth on in-breaking routes to the wide side, or he's rolling out to his left-hand side and he's throwing a comeback route at 18 yards. And again, not to say that Dane can't do that. It's that Jeremiah does that without thinking because he's been around the CFL and he trusts the windows and he's not looking around and going, wait a minute, why there's an extra guy there? Or why is that Will linebacker playing so wide out of the box? Or he doesn't really have to look through those things and process them as much. And Dane certainly is evolving in that direction, which is why I think he has so much promise. And that's why I'm so excited to see him play. But the, the difficulty of this is, Jeremiah, you really, if you're a Ticats fan, this is what it boils down to. You have somebody who has experience, who has talent, who's ready to go right now. You also have somebody who doesn't have as much experience, has a ton of talent in Dane Evans, who with experience has a very, very high ceiling. Is the ceiling of Dane Evans, when given that experience and that chance to grow, better than what Jeremiah's uh, ceiling is right now? Or is this a win-now situation and Jeremiah is the guy that you have to go with to start of the season? Because I do think that both of them will play at some point throughout the year. I don't think we're going to see guys taken mm. in and out in a two-quarterback system. You get a quarter, I get a quarter. Like that, I just don't see that happening. But I do believe you'll see both of them at some point. So all of this might be all for naught because I both think they're going to get an opportunity to show their stuff. 
But the question is, is the stealing of Dane Evans, given the chance to learn and, and gain experience, going to be higher than Jeremiah? Will it be a more proficient offense? Or is Jeremiah going to be the guy that you just trust right now and you run with because you've seen what he can do and he can put up all sorts of crazy numbers for you? I, again, I think they go Masoli. I do. And, and I think that it comes down to a lot of the things you're talking about with the data points where, I mean, Evans has his strengths behind the line of scrimmage. Jeremiah has his strengths of pushing more vertically. The accuracy numbers pretty much even, as you say, the relationships with the receivers. I mean, it's, it's pretty even between, I mean, I think Dane struggled a little bit working with Brandon Banks and getting timing down with him at the start of his starting reign after Jeremiah went down with the knee injury, but they figured it out as the season went on, which allowed Brandon to be the MOP in 2019. So it's a good problem to have, obviously. Uh, and I think there's a lot of teams around the league that would enjoy yeah. having two quarterbacks of two distinct skill sets as well. But I know you guys are are headed towards a collision course of that in Saskatchewan because Paxton Lynch is about to set the world on fire based on everything I'm reading. So. <laughs> Paxton seems like a good dude. Paxton yes, he does. seems like a, a good dude. Here, here's the thing that tips it for me. And if this was a regular preseason, this might not tip it so strongly, but this is a preseason in which they will not play a game against another team. So uh, neither quarterback will be under pressure. And that's that's a part where, uh, to me, Dane Evans needed to improve a lot. And I don't know how you show that to coaches in, in a 26 days of practice and, and not a game. Uh, they're under pressure about the same amount of time in the last a couple of years. Uh, the number of pressures that ended in sacks, 27. 7% of uh, Dane Evans was under pressure. It ended sack. That's only 16% for Jeremiah Masoli, which is a fantastic number among the absolute elite in the league. And it, it, wasn't, it wasn't scrambles because, as I found, Masoli doesn't scramble on pass plays nearly as much as I thought. He'll keep it alive, and he ends up humming the ball down the field. But yeah. to be able to deal with pressure and get sacked 50%, less uh to me is a real plus for that he adds a little better than, than dane evans i don't i don't know how evans will be able to show the coaches this unusual training camp yep one of my biggest problems because ain't nobody touching quarterbacks in, in a league where six yeah. guys torn achilles last week nobody's <laughs> touching quarterbacks in this preseason that's a very good point uh, the last one that i'll throw at you here we were talking about percentage of a terror the uh, the mm. uh, passer rating behind the line of scrimmage um i pulled up this number that i had from back in 2019 percentage of throw attempts that were at or behind the line of scrimmage it was james franklin for the argos mm. 19.2 trevor harris 20.4 vernon adams jr 21.4 we all know throw he was throwing vertically jennings 21.8 arbuckle was at 23 percent matt nichols in winnipeg was 24 percent pipkin 24 percent mike riley 25 percent Dane Evans led the league in pass attempts at or behind the line of scrimmage, 31.2%. That is 6% yeah. more than the second best guy at throwing behind the line of scrimmage in the CFL. I think if there's one thing that he can tangibly show in training camps, it's that he doesn't have to be the bubble and the smoke guy. And he doesn't have to be the check down guy. And he doesn't, I think if he can really prove that he can throw into defenses with confidence, that might be the thing that shows them, oh, wow, okay, Dane is... He's taken another step in this spot, and he might be ready to go. But what's your uh, your final thought here before we wrap up, DT, on all things Masoli and Evans? They have two guys. They have two guys who who I think you could start with and you could feel comfortable with. I think it's very clear that in 2021, you take Masoli, 
I'm curious to see if if they keep, go back to what worked for them so well in 2018, which was that max protection and three guys can go run routes. They did that much less in 2019, but it worked so well for them in 2018. I'm curious to see if that comes back, especially when you add in guys or Jason Moss this weekend, multiple, right? You could see Kalinich could be in there. He could be blocking. He could run a route. Jake Burt, I think we all expect, could hammer a, a blitzing linebacker leak out, chip chip a guy to the moon and leak out into the flats. I, I'm very curious to see how how uh, Hamilton goes with its protection schemes because it very clearly benefited Masoli in 2018, and it's not like it causes injury in 2019. But they, they weren't doing it to the same rate in 2019, and I would love to see I would love to uh, to see that be the case. But I just think it's very clearly Masoli because. This is the best roster in the CFL in my mind. This is the Grey Cup favorite in my mind. And I didn't play in the CFL, but I feel like CFL teams would like to play in a Grey Cup in their home stadium. I just, that's just me. That might just be my take. It might be a hot take, but yeah, that's, my, uh, that's where I go. The question is, who will be the starting quarterback in Saskatchewan when they host the Grey Cup in 2021? Cody Fajardo or Paxton Lynch? No, maybe we'll save that uh, episode for next year in around this time here on CFP. But uh, it's great analysis, as always, there from DT. Make sure you're checking them out on the sports cage. I know you guys have been loaded with guests and all sorts of writers content uh, throughout the last little while. You got Farhan Lalji coming up. I'm sure he's got lots of interesting uh, previews and information on the cage. Yeah, Farhan will join us uh, this afternoon. Uh, Luke Molander and I will do the first 90 minutes about training camp, the stories of the day, who's filling in this spot as we look at defensive end and middle linebacker and how many things Dion Lacey can do. And there's, there's, I think probably we counted 10 spots that are, that are up for grabs for the riders this year. So uh, what can the young Canadians do? So many interesting questions that uh, we'll get a day closer to solving on Wednesday. Excellent. And if you want coverage on somebody other than Hamilton or Saskatchewan, don't worry. Uh, we've got you covered because we're doing all team previews coming up on Friday with myself and Kyle Mello. I got an article up on CFL.ca about the legendary Geo Hopkins, equipment manager, of course, for the Calgary Stampeders. I talked with Julio Caravada on the A Block this week, the color commentator out there in British Columbia, talking about all things Lions, keeping Mike Riley clean, where they're going to go with their Canadian linebackers. So we got lots of stuff for you here on CFE. Make sure that you're following us up on Twitter and Instagram at CF Perspective is where you can find us, cfperspective.com. He is at DT on SC. I am at TSN underscore Marsh. And I am going back to the beach. <laughs>